We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. Coming to you with a little bit of a somber Monday recording a podcast. We took a few days off before doing this All-22. It was, you know, similar to week one, maybe even a little worse on the offensive side of the ball. And that's what we're discussing today, the offense. We're going to do the defense as well later today. But for now, just offense. And look, it's hard to find positives on game film when your offense totals 150 yards of offense. And the Giants had 150 yards of offense in a full NFL game. In this game, the 49ers, for reference, had 201 yards after contact or no, after the catch, just yak and 441 yards of total offense. Again, 150 for the Giants offense, Uh, just disaster of an offensive performance for the Giants in this one. We're going to talk about a lot of things here today. We're going to show some film clips as well. We're going to show blocking uh, all the plays from the offensive line blocking some of Hyatt's deep routes to give you an idea of what was happening there. But we also want to address a lot of things that, you know, are going on with the offense and some of our concerns as they head into this pivotal game in week four, Nick. Um, so before we do any of that, I do want to start with you, Nick, and, and just kind of get a feel for and a grasp for how you feel after watching this tape. The Giants firstly played a team on both sides of the football that is just much better than them. My primary takeaway on both sides of the football was the Giants got bitched and they got out physicaled. San Francisco 49ers were just flat out the tougher team. Not only were they more talented, but they were just tougher than the New York Giants. And you never want to ascribe that to the team that you root for, right? That you're kind of getting bitched around the football field. And I brought up a couple different points to you. Mm -hmm. Trent Williams is, I love Andrew Thomas. Trent Williams is a better left tackle than Andrew Thomas after watching that game. Like he was throwing a Sean Robinson around. Like I understand why a Sean Robinson got a little pissed off at him and there were punches thrown, but all game running off tackle towards 71 was successful for the San Francisco 49ers. Kyle Shanahan is just so much fun to watch him call plays and how he toyed with the defense. We'll talk about that on the next podcast, but in terms of the offense, there were more deep shots dialed up than I thought watching it on broadcast, but the coverage was sticky. It was like Velcro. There was really not a lot of space for the receivers and the Giants were in seven, eight man protection sometimes and it didn't necessarily matter because Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, Javon Kinlaw, Nick Bosa, Drake Jack, whoever was out there was winning their one-on-one matchups. And we saw plays where Nick Bosa had three guys on him then, Josh Azudu, Matt Breida, and Daniel Bellinger, and he's still able to pressure Daniel Jones. 
So my takeaways, if we're going to look at a macro or a 30,000 foot view, as Dan Schneier likes to say, A, they had to run the football a little bit. They tried, I think, the first drive of the second half. And what happened? Just shut down. Two runs with Gary Brightwell ended up going for negative or no one yard. Uh the Giants like to run. completely tipped off, yeah. by the way, bringing Matt Parrot into the game. That was just stupid, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. They tried going with that big offensive line package. Giants like to run counter. That's their primary rushing play against this front. It's an even front team. They really can't run counter. So they right. got creative with their rushing approach and ran wham double trap, something we applauded uh, Mike Kafka for last year on that adjustment. They ended up scoring the nine yard touchdown on it and they ran it one other time, but Dre Greenlaw ended up reading it, and Marcus McKethan, in order to actually pull off the trap, was a line like six inches off the line of scrimmage. And San Francisco was so dialed into what the New York Giants were doing. And from a passing perspective, the Giants, everything is quick with them. Dan, everything's quick, right? Let's get the football out of Daniel Jones' hands. You have to do it. I felt like the 49ers were baiting Jones to throw into certain locations and rallying and tackling, i.e. Paris Campbell. Why did Paris Campbell get so much targets? Because pre-snap, they were like, hey, why don't you throw the ball to this guy out here? And then once Jones did, they were all right on Paris Campbell. And I'd like to sit here and complain about Paris Campbell and say, you know what? You're trusted to make a man miss. But honestly, he was catching the football and the guys were right on him. Yep. It's just this defense was so much better. They play top down. A lot of defenses do, Dan. Like, think about the Philadelphia Eagles. What did we say in that playoff game? They were playing top down because they had no respect for the Giants beating them over the top. One defense didn't respect them, the Arizona Cardinals, because their safeties were playing really aggressively. Well, the safeties in this game weren't playing necessarily really aggressively, but those linebackers, you could do so many creative things with those linebackers, which we're about to get into here in a little bit. And the Giants, they were just playing top down, coming down on all their quick shit. And there was no room for Daniel Jones to find anybody. And he was under pressure the entire game, just absolutely outmatched and unfortunately out physical. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to say this, Nick, my biggest fear and nightmare from the offseason is coming true so far through the season. And I said it multiple times throughout the offseason, basically all offseason. I said, look, the one thing that I am worried about going into year two, look, they upgraded this. They upgraded that. They went all in on this. They pushed cap space. They used their cap space. They drafted Hyatt. They drafted JMS. Everything looked good on paper. But the one thing I was worried about is I've seen so many times throughout watching the NFL throughout my life where a team gets or, or defensive coordinators get eight games of film or more on an offense and a system and how things work. This typically happens with like rookie quarterbacks who have better rookie years and second years. And everyone's like, why, how did this happen? They're supposed to make a jump in year two. They've seen more. It's the opposite almost because you start to continue to lean on some of the concepts on offense that have worked for you. And teams are finding different ways to take those away. And I was my biggest concern. And then what do I see this season? Nick, two of the three games, these mega uber aggressive approaches. And I almost feel like Nick, the 49ers did this better than the Eagles did it in the divisional round. And then the Cowboys did it in week one, because not only they were, were they playing completely top down with just disrespectful coverages, right? Everything was pressed up, everything drive on every short game, one high safety max. And most of the time he's rotating down anyway. How do you pronounce it? Hufanga? Hufunga. Hey, Hufunga, I, finally got it. I keep calling him Huffnigga, like Huffnigga, like the old Giants offensive coordinator. But Hufanga rotating down. And then they did other things that like I felt like were so unique and smart and took away everything the Giants could do, like all the bracket coverage they used on Darren Waller that we've seen. We haven't seen in a long time. You mentioned this before the podcast. Like it's good in this. It's a silver lining to it. It's good in the sense that, yes, the Giants finally have a player who can be who defenses are accounting for and bracket coveraging and using extra guys. But it's bad in the sense that like the Giants kind of need defenses not to do that because they Waller's one of their only solutions. And then also on top of all of that, 
They were constantly doing what you just said, bluffing the hell out of Daniel Jones, making it look like, ooh, you're going to have the short game, quick game solution right here. Nope. We showed it pre-snap. We're doing the complete opposite post-snap. We're rotating down, pressing up on everything and taking that away. And it just felt like Jones was getting tricked. The Giants offense was getting tricked. They couldn't protect, like you said, sometimes with eight men, seven men using wide receivers and pass protection. So that was obviously an issue. And ultimately, I look at this, Nick, and the question I ask myself before you get into some of the film stuff is, again, bringing it back to what you said to start, like 30,000-foot view. What do the Giants do from a schematic standpoint when teams are, you know, putting this much attention to Darren Waller and having this much attention to limit Daniel Jones in a run game and pressing everything up and, you know, not playing with any kind of depth with their safeties or their corners. Like what can you do if your offensive line is also struggling? What is the option for the giants? They head into this pivotal week four game. I think in terms of the bracket coverage, you can run the football and people aren't going to necessarily want to hear that. And a lack of Saquon Barkley definitely doesn't help that. But when the defense brackets a tight end or a receiver who is going to be inside, and we saw the Giants adjust off of this in the second half by aligning Waller out wide to get one-on-one matches yep. when we saw some of those deep shots. So a good adjustment by the New York Giants offense. The way the 49ers bracket is they're going to have that nickel or the player who's going to be over the top of Darren Waller being outside leverage. And the 49ers are basically going to align, which we saw all game in an overfront to the strength, meaning there's going to be a three technique and a five technique to that Darren Waller side. You need to defeat that three technique and five technique in the running game. You need to find a way to run the football because when that defender is an outside leverage, that linebacker is going to be basically bracketing inside out on Darren Waller. So that nickel defender is now going to be outside. If you can have a backside guard, if you do run the football effectively, climb up to the Mike linebacker, which is something that can happen even against a Fred Warner, then you're putting the onus on the safety to fill. And you can get one-on-one matches, which are running back against that safety. That's one downside to bracketing on defense is you're basically switching the force defender from the apex, that nickel, to the safety coming down. Now, Hufanga is really good in right. that role. So it would have been... um difficult because of the personnel difference between the 49ers and the Giants, but that is one way to combat bracket coverage that Dan, and also simply just going somewhere else with the football. But it seemed like the Giants primary read on a lot of these passing plays was to Darren Waller while he was being bracketed. What does that mean though? That means there's one-on-one matchups everywhere else. Right. And unfortunately the Giants just weren't creating any separation. There really was not a lot of separation in this game when the 49ers decided to go into match, when the 49ers decided to go into man coverage. And we'll bring up some plays a little bit later just to show that it's not all bleak. Cause I felt like the Giants had a couple wrinkles and a couple plays that they designed specifically to combat what the 49ers were doing. The Gary Brightwell play was a really good example of this. Yep. You want to one bracket coverage on Darren Waller. Cool. We're going to bring Gary Brightwell from the backside of the play and run him around. And guess what? No one's going to account for him. It's exactly what happened. Nobody accounted for Gary Brightwell and he caught the football in space, but the, the game plan play that the New York giants had was the 12 personnel speed stack is what we call it. Right. We saw it in a bunch of times in the second half. No separation on that play other than the Jalen Hyatt winning deep. But by that time, Shane Lemieux getting blown up in the face of Daniel Jones. You could say throw with anticipation, and I think there's there's some merit to that. But at the same time, it's so much easier to say that when I'm sitting here like this and I don't have you know the inability to step up into the pocket because my guard is freaking Shane Lemieux. So the right. offensive line obviously has a lot of issues here, but it just doesn't seem like a lot of these defenses respect the Giants passing attack. And you're right. You said this during the offseason, and I want to applaud you for it. You said, I just hope that the Giants are able to stay innovative enough to keep these, these defenses on their toes, the top defenses specifically. Right. I'm not going to say that they're not, 
because you don't have Andrew Thomas, you don't have Saquon, you don't have all of these pieces, but 40 to nothing. And then this game says something about the New York Giants offense. And I think it's fair to at least start to question what path and what direction this offense is actually going to go, especially if they drop another dud on Monday Night Football against Seattle. Yeah, it's the most pivotal game of the season, without a doubt. I mean, they can't come out flat, and we talked about this before the podcast. I want to touch on a little bit of what you said there um, in a variety of ways. I want to start by discussing some comments that were made after the game by the 49ers players because I thought this was really interesting. We didn't talk about this yet. I didn't, didn't really catch that much attention, I don't think, really, as much as it should have because I really haven't seen this from – like, have you seen this happen to another quarterback yet this year uh, from other teams? I, I don't know if I have. Maybe I haven't followed it as well. But after the game, 49ers players made comments about Daniel Jones being scared to throw the ball into tight spots. The dude did not want to throw the ball. An unnamed 49ers defender told the Chronicle early on. You could tell it wasn't going to happen. Everything was a check down. At that point, we knew what it was and we adjusted to it. This was similar to the Cowboys game where you had the sideline and the Cowboys laughing, having a good time, talking about making the offense quit, getting sacks left and right. Another anonymous 49ers player called his salary unbelievable. I don't care about any of that stuff, the travesty, you know, the ridiculous contract. None of that really matters to me as much, Nick, as the first part, which is kind of like, you know, we knew that he was not like we can just get him to throw everything a check down. And like I talked about earlier and you discussed as well, there was even some bluffing the 49ers defense showed to get the giants into that. And you mentioned, you know, and thank you for crediting me on that, but you mentioned, and I know you thought about the same thing as well. And I, and you mentioned how, you know, teams have adjusted to what the giants are doing at this point. I think that's pretty obvious by those comments made by 49ers players and the film that we've seen. And I wonder at this point, like how much, how much can change in the course of a season? The hope is like the matchups won't be like this all year. Right. And I do agree. Like someone said, like I put it out there on Twitter and someone's like, Oh, just run the ball, run the damn ball. And I get that. Right. Like I'm for that right now with the state of the O line, I'm for that being the game plan against Seattle and like some of these teams, but I watched the film on this game, Nick, and I don't really think like if the Giants tried to run the ball, I don't think it would have worked. I don't think Azudu is winning his block. I don't think Lemieux is winning enough of his block. And Lemieux actually looked better than basically anyone in the run game, I thought, this game. And that's not saying a lot, but it's saying something. A JMS had his worst game of the career. We'll talk about that a little bit later. It's only three games, but it was the first time he was actually tested, in my opinion, from a matchup standpoint. Not his best game. McKethan did not look that good and hasn't been a huge plus in the run game in general. Evan Neal is probably their best run blocker overall. I would say that's left is healthy, like healthy, but I don't think they could have really just run to his side either and gone success. So I feel like that can be a solution, but not against the top teams. What are your thoughts on that? You're right. Especially if you don't have a road rating offensive line, which right now the New York giants do not have that. And even if fully healthy, I don't know if they have one of those top tier run blocking type of units. You're kind of relying on 26 to mm -hmm. make a play in a lot of those instances. I'm right there with you. Every one of these teams that the Giants are, have struggled against, Dallas, Philadelphia, now the 49ers, obviously top defenses in the league, but you got to threaten them deep. And I have a play up on YouTube, sorry for the podcasting audience, that I've been rewinding. And this is the play I was referencing before. This yeah, is break it down, 12, then. 12 personnel speed stack. And the Giants did it from a different formation. They didn't motion Darius Slayton from the double Y side. They bring him from the numbers on the same side behind Jalen Hyatt. This is the play that they hit like three times in the second half against Arizona and watch number two, he over pursues Darius Slayton and nobody takes Jalen Hyatt, but Shane Lemieux got blown up and he's right in the lap of Daniel Jones. But my thing is, I think Daniel Jones is looking in his first read is, is Jalen Hyatt clearing out that side of the field. 
Right. I want to go to Darius Slayton underneath, which was what materialized in week two was I'm going to find Darius Slayton a bunch of times underneath off of the Jalen Hyatt clear out. And my thing is he would have to release the football. He hits his back foot. And at this point, can you anticipate if you're watching on YouTube, number two over pursuing, and you know, you have an outbreaking route from Jalen Hyatt, should you get rid of the football? And Daniel Jones doesn't, but it's already basically too late right now. As I rewind, like that's how bang, bang this play is for Daniel Jones. I don't want to sit here and just say it's all his fault, but the good quarterbacks make this throw. The really good ones. And if he were to make this throw and come up with a, what, 50 yard catch to Jalen Hyde, maybe a touchdown. Guess what would happen? The San Francisco 49ers would stop aggressively underneath in the intermediate and it would open up space. That was one of the primary reasons we were so excited when the Giants drafted Jalen Hyatt in the third round, not just because he's a speed threat who can open up things for the intermediate, or he's going to be the one catching a lot of touchdowns, but just because it's going to allow the Giants to run the football. And also it will allow the Giants to be very efficient with their quick passing attack, which they were against teams like the Colts and the Minnesota Vikings last year. But when you don't take this, when you don't even throw this football, you just hold it and then rush to the sideline and then end up underhanding it out of bounds. The defense is exactly what the defense says they were at the end of the game. Whoever said it, because it was anonymous. We right. have that. not going to pull the trigger. Windows in the NFL, Dan, are so slim, man. Like they they close like that. You've got to be so instinctual. You got to throw with anticipation. And I'm not like again, this is not the best example of Daniel Jones not having anticipation, but it is a example of it. And I know it's a lot easier me saying that sitting here. I don't have Shane Lemieux getting bullied back in and I can't step into my throw. But it's just um, I don't know how many times we have to like see stuff like this throughout the all 22 film reviews that we have done of Daniel Jones before we start being like, hey, like we actually need to see you pull the trigger. And it's not just Jalen Hyatt wide open against a cornerback outside leverage because the safety right. completely blew his assignment. Yeah. And it's a fair criticism by you. I think working toward the criticism is could Daniel Jones do a better job of understanding the leverage from the safety there in the middle of the field? And again, it's typical 49ers or typical how teams are playing the giants. There's just one freaking safety. No one gives a shit about this passing attack. And so look at where he's kind of aligned. And I kind of wonder like, you know, he's never going to beat Jalen Hyatt to the, to the corner there. So maybe that's on Jones. for not recognizing that. I ultimately think the biggest issue here is probably Shane Lemieux losing so fast. Um, and, and in some ways, Josh Azudo, I know he kind of anchors down, but like he got pushed back too on this play. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest issue. I'm kind of lukewarm with this. I feel like, yes, the best quarterbacks are making that throw, but also this is not the worst example of that in my opinion, Jones had some super egregious examples of not throwing with anticipation last year, not as much oh, yeah. this year. I know, you know, everybody has their own opinion on it to me. Like the, the stuff that scares me even more is like Jones throwing on the horizontal plane. Like that throw to Waller is a horrific throw. I don't know how people go over it later and we'll show it. I don't even, it's like amazing to me how fans can defend Jones on that play. No offense and no offense to Jones. He's a tough quarterback. He's trying his best out there. He's got a lot of pressure, but like that's not on the receiver when he's running wide open like that on a crosser and the game was still in hand. If Jones just puts that pass, it's a fucking easy throw. He's like standing from a fine pocket. He puts the ball up. So Waller has to like fully extend his six foot six frame behind him. And you could see it from the end zone view best, how bad the throw was. I think you had it up earlier and that's where I really noticed it. I mean, this is just a, this is the stuff that scares me. The clean pocket stuff, the pressure stuff. It's like, it's tough to be a good quarterback under pressure, but this is just a trash ball. Like that's not a good ball with him run. That needs to be in front of him and not anywhere near that high. And the pocket is fine there. And it's just the same thing he struggled with throughout the past two years when the receiver's crossing on the horizontal plane, 
it's not always an accurate ball. And this is a ball that, you know, they were done after this. This The game was over after this point. And I will say this. There was a route he hit on earlier, third and four, where Waller ran a whip route, and the ball was perfectly placed by Jones. He's throwing good. He's good at throwing to the receivers right out of their break, breaks. It's once they're crossing, the ball placement has been bad, and it's not talked about a lot. And a lot of people excuse it by saying this is on the receiver. But this is not on the receiver. In no way, shape, or form is this on the receiver in my mind. It's not. It's definitely on Jones. And my one, I guess, takeaway initially was, was he trying to throw inside because Hufanga is it? But Hufanga is off by right over 10 yards at 10 this yards. point. Yep. Darren Waller catches that. But like, again, you got to hit him in stride, allow him to create yards after the catch. So this is just a bad ball. And unfortunately, it's a pass that we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing. Daniel Jones can throw the dig when, when he's tasked to out of the break. But over the middle of the field on deep horizontal crossing patterns, we have seen Jones miss that throw more than any other throw throughout his career. We yep. saw it against Green Bay with Darius Slayton last year. We saw it against the Vikings on the um, on the interception by Patrick Peterson last season. And there were a lot of other ones that weren't as, I guess, profound or as noticeable, or maybe it was just slightly off. But this, man, that's on Jones. This is a third and eight situation where you need to convert or the game is over. And Jones right. just put it high and behind a six foot six receiving threat. That's That's unacceptable. And it's one of the only clean pockets he has. And I think the, the problem some people have when they're watching games and they're and they're assigning blame for plays like that is they think like once a receiver gets his hands on the ball, it has to be caught. I don't think people realize how hard it is for a receiver to gather and fire his hands up when the ball is like just coming zipping right at you like that. Like if it's in front of you, it's easy. You go out here and you pluck. If it's behind you and high, you have to go like this and gather your hands and get them all the way up there. Of course, like it looks like he touches it, Waller. He does touch the ball, but it's not where it needs to be. Um, so that to me bothered me more a little bit than kind of the anticipation throws that we, that we didn't see from Jones. I think, is this the whip route that I was referencing earlier? This is, the, this is a third yeah. and 10. This is when the giants drove into field goal range. And I love this adjustment from the giants. I know this is going to be a negative podcast because the offense got 150 yards. It should be yeah. negative, right? But there were some good adjustments and here you have Darren Waller off the line of scrimmage and the way they've been playing Darren Waller up to this point is you're going to bracket inside and outside. So what do the giants do to combat that? They bring Darius Slayton inside the numbers and Darius Slayton is going to release inside and in front of Darren Waller towards two defenders. And what does that do? Darren Waller is going to fake like he's going inside and that's going to force 30 to hopefully go over the top, but 30 doesn't 30 plays this really well, but it's still going to be a completion because Darren Waller is going to get that outside, that outside release. But you can see what the giants were thinking. They were hoping 30 float over the top at 12 would catch this with a blocker in space or just him against this player and you in the flat. But if you look at this corner, who's in the flat too, He's not necessarily worried about Matt Breda. Where's his eyes go? His eyes go right to Darren Waller out of the pivot, and he starts to come down to make this tackle on Darren Waller. I like where the mindset was at for the Giants, but again, it goes to the fact that Giants are not, or the Giants are not threatening defenses in any way other than with this quick passing attack. Defenses defenses are, this is a great example of it, Nick. Defenses are not covering most of the field. They're just leaving a lot of the field wide open. How often do you see this? You don't see this when you watch the Chargers and some of these passing attacks that are doing well this year. Like The defense is all over the field. There's D-backs 20 yards off the ball. There's safeties playing too high most of the game. Trevor Lawrence, they played too high against Lawrence the entire game, essentially. They didn't have one snap I saw where they where they didn't have too high safety looks. Um, and I could throw the snap up he threw to Ridley if we just want to juxtapose. I mean, he threw a ball, Nick. I don't know if you saw this this ball that really dropped where the safety was lined up on the hash. And he said, F it, I'm throwing it anyway. And the safety didn't get there in time because the arm talent was so good. But anyway, back to this, I want to show this because it's a good example. Waller comes out of his break. Look at the ball placement on this. Look how good this ball placement is. That's what good that's on the receiver. If he drops that it's on the receiver. 
If he drops the ball we showed earlier, it's not on the receiver. It's on the quarterback straight up. Like that's where a ball needs to be placed. That's what good ball placement looks like. That's how you keep an offense in rhythm. Um, and I think it unfortunately uncovered a larger point that you brought up, which is look at that defensive back and how he's just, or that linebacker and how he's just rotating right down into that, not worrying at all about anything, any, you know, any area of the field. Look at this. Look at, look at the, just look at the game. If you just guys just pause this for a second, Nick, look at how the Niners are playing this. There's one safety high and then all this space open in the middle of the field. It's in the middle and the sidelines. It's crazy. And this is how Dallas played them. And this is how the Eagles, like it's, it's a tough look. And it's just like that air. You almost think like, shouldn't the giants be able to throw something, a corner out, something in that wide open area of the field at some point. At some point, yes. But the Giants' protection, as we're seeing right here, right. Is, is an issue. And a lot yep. of it stems from the protection, but it's not just the protection. There are other issues with this team. I think you need to see Daniel Jones. <laughs> I think you need to see Daniel Jones be a little bit more assertive and a little bit more aggressive with deeper concepts when they develop. It's something we said all last year. We took a lot of shit for yep. it, but I don't care. It's something that is just obvious throughout his film. I get that he doesn't have that much. He doesn't have that much help in terms of right. his his pass protection in front of him. Other quarterbacks don't always have all day to throw the football either. And the windows are so small in the NFL and you have to fit a football into that window whenever it presents itself. And with Daniel Jones, if that's off script, if it's not off the design that was passed down from the coaching staff, you don't see him do that nearly as consistent as you should, especially now that he's making 40 million a year. And I think that's there. That that's the two subject points where we're really getting to here and driving home on one which nick brought up to me before the pod we had a good discussion before the pod we should have just recorded and threw it on here i feel like it was better and we're trying to recreate some of it we're doing our best here but one like you know has daniel jones moved past the robotic state of playing quarterback which has been like even if you look at last year during his breakout season a lot of that felt like what nick said what you said to me before the podcast nick which is he's reading the one side of the field what the coaches told him to do and if it's not there he's running and that's fine it worked a lot last year he was able to run convert a lot of first downs and escape pockets and make plays on the run. Like you saw here, this is his best play of the game, that throw to, Bre to, to Brightwell. And I thought it was a and great he, job, by the way, by Brightwell to flow through that. And that was. And really this is something where, where he's improved a little bit when he extends horizontally and he's able to keep his eyes downfield. Very good play by Brightwell as well. And I want to give him his credit there. But when he's in the pocket, off the concepts that are called, yes. that first or second route where the Giants will call plays, be like, hey, we're going to attack this area of the field or we're going to attack this defender. Whatever that defender does, going to do the opposite because we're putting that player into conflict and if he bites on the drag route then guess what you're going to throw the dig if he bites on the dig or if he drops the dig you're going to throw the drag route and we're going to get yards after the catch but when when that doesn't happen or the or the 49ers or the defense throw some sort of curveball at daniel jones he doesn't do a good job being like all right let me work to the backside dig or let me work to the third route in my yes. progression, it's either check down or I'm going to use my legs. And the 49ers were all over that. Daniel Jones had five rushing yards in this game because every time he stepped up into the pocket, this is how Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw and whoever yep. the hell 48, they stepped up. And I'm glad Daniel Jones was able to realize that and find Gary Brightwell. That's a good extemporized play. But again, it's not something we see consistent enough when he is in the pocket in terms of what the structure of the actual play call is. 
And that's to me, this still remains the biggest concern with Jones. Can he get out of that robotic phase of play, state of playing quarterback? And can he start to naturally throw some things to the back? Can we occasionally see a backside dig? Or can we occasionally see something really phenomenal on the backside of a play that he naturally was able to figure out post snap was going to be available to the Giants? And I'm not saying this is happening every game. Like some games look like this where the protection was so bad, it doesn't really matter. I don't even particularly, we, we spent a lot of time talking about Jones on this one, Nick. I don't even particularly think this was that bad of a game by Jones. I think it was worse on tape than it was broadcast to be honest with you and I don't know if you agree with that but I thought he was much better on the broadcast than when I watched the tape I thought it was a little bit worse no I shouldn't say much worse just a little bit worse but he didn't really have any time he didn't really have that many opportunities I get it but at some point it can't be I think what Nick and I are trying to drive at this is what I brought up to you before the pod we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. 
It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of BlueWire. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round, or you want to find out more information, make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your day. Look, when I'm hungry and I want to munch on something, whether the Giants are winning or losing, I always go with pizza. And Caesars is my go-to choice. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before NFL games, and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. It could be sausage, pepperoni, you can combine toppings, you can get creative with whatever type of pie you want from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Go to wefunder.com slash bluewire. And remember, supporting BlueWire is another way to support our show and this podcast. When somebody always says, Nick, the, the, the classic thing with Jones is always like, he has no protection. He has no this. He has no that. All of that is true. It's hard to play quarterback when you don't have all that. But the one thing that all that doesn't guarantee is that if he did have that, he'd be a phenomenal player. It does guarantee that when he doesn't have that, I agree. He's not playing well and it's not his fault. But it, none of that tells me for certain, at least it's all projection still that when he does finally have everything he needs, the protection and all this stuff, that he's going to be able to make those backside reads that you just discussed, Nick, and those natural field plays where he's able to process a defense and find something that's not just designed to him pre-snap by Kafka. And I'm not talking about, you know, making the decision to scramble forward when the design pre-snap read isn't there because that's good and it worked last year. But I'm talking about making the decision to find that third read on the backside of a play with his arm from the pocket and take a hit while he throws. And that's the stuff we need to start seeing a lot more of when the production gets a little better, hopefully, because it can't be this bad, right? Like it can't be in a Zudu Lemieux. Like I don't have too much blame for Jones in a game that has a Zudu Lemieux McKethan JMS playing his third career game and Evan Neal, right? Like it's hard to blame a quarterback with that line. It's probably the worst offensive line that started a game with the exception of maybe the Texans and probably worse than the Texans last week. But at some point, I just need to see him making more plays with his mind and with his arm. 
And that's really, I think, where both of us are at right now. It's exactly where both of us are at. We need to see it just on a consistent level. And there are instances of it. And that's, I think, one reason why we're drawn to Daniel Jones is you see yep. it sometimes, not nearly enough. I don't have a percentage, but it, it's just not there. And when you're playing a team that is significantly better than you and you're outmatched, I get you're going to lose. But there are times where you're significantly outmatched and the offense will still move the football and you'll still be like encouraged. This game, you didn't really necessarily see that too much. You saw it a little bit on the first drive. And I know this is circumstantial, but this is the second time in three games where the Giants had a solid opening script, Dan, and one mistake just absolutely killed the Giants. Like the false start with Andrew Thomas, right. which led to the JMS, which led to the block field goal. The Gary Brightwell drop was a big deal. That's not on Daniel Jones either. But I just wanted to kind of highlight that because it was just kind of weird how the Giants are kind of shooting themselves in the foot. We don't really think of Brian Dable and this coaching staff as a as a coaching staff that isn't, you know, crossing their T's and dotting their I's. They are, but they also aligned with 10 guys on the football yeah. field once in this game. It's like, what the hell are you doing? And there are these operational errors that we didn't see in 2022. And I'm just wondering why the hell are they happening now? Because you have to have that shit cleared up. But in terms or in regards to to Daniel Jones, man. Uh, I don't want to, I'm not sitting here blaming the kid, but you do no. need to see this stuff more at a, at a, at a consistent level. If you want to have that elite type of quarterback, is he a guy who can, you know, you can win in, you can win with because he's, because he can do what the coaches tells him and he's a hard worker and he's an athletic guy. Sure. But I think you want more out of a quarterback who's on your second contract than just that. And I don't think yes. it's unfair for giant fans to wish for that. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think a lot of the time it's framed in the wrong way. And that's why there's so much debate and problems on Giants Twitter and among Giants fans when it comes to Daniel Jones, even in the comments. We'll see it, I'm sure, today. <laughs> this was our, probably our most negative podcast in a while. So I think a lot of the debate is framed in the wrong way. It's always framed as like, is Jones to blame or is Jones not to blame? But let's not worry about if Jones is to blame or not to blame. Let's more worry about is Jones the reason why the Giants are pulling through from tough spots because ultimately like that's what it comes down to as far as being a super, a super Bowl contender on a consistent basis. You need a quarterback who's going to pull you out of tough spots over and over. Whether that means standing in the pocket and getting clobbered and throwing with anticipation on the few times you have the opportunity, which you didn't even have that many of in this game. I agree with you that the one play to high, it was like barely like even a good example of it, but this is not even the best exam, exam, game for it, but at some point there just has to be more of this like natural feel for how to play quarterback and for where to throw the football and where to get the ball out of his hand. Because, you know, a lot of time you'll see yesterday, for example, Nick, Justin Herbert was pressured 84% of the time yesterday. Do you know what he did? He completed 40 of 47 passes for 405 yards, including okay. two throws, Nick, that were absolutely insane. The one where he rolled left on a third and 17 and fired the ball across his, across his body from rolling left 25 yards on the field. And then did you see the one that he threw downfield to, I think, Josh Palmer, where he was basically dropping, 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 running backwards almost for eight steps and ripped the ball down the left sideline. I mean, that's the type of stuff that, like, his old line was bad on those plays. The play design didn't go as expected. Things went wrong, but he big dug them out of that. And that's something, you know, it can't always just be if we have everything perfect, the giant Daniel Jones, we have to see what Daniel Jones is then. It sometimes has to be like things aren't going to be perfect. There's going to be injuries in season. There's going to be cap issues. There's going to be things that lead to you not having a perfect situation. And I think, you know, maybe even we'll look at it on the defensive pod, Nick, but like Purdy was pressured a lot in this game too. And Purdy got out the ball. 
fast and with anticipation a lot more than Jones did. And I don't think it's as fair to say like he should Jones should have got it as more much Jones because I'm able to recognize Debo Samuel is a great weapon. And, you know, yeah. George Kittle and even though Ayuk wasn't playing Christian McCaffrey and they got a good old line like that type of shit. But like at the same time, you see some plays where Purdy like the touchdown pass against um, Deontay Banks. That's a great anticipatory throw. Like that dude is finding space in the pocket. He understands exactly where to manipulate that pocket to the point where he can get that throw off and he's throwing the ball to a spot. He's not throwing it like to the receiver. So, you know, it is what it is on those fronts. It is what it is. And his release is something special. Brock Purdy, like when he throws a football, it's out of his hand. I wanted to highlight this one play just because the 49ers were also tracking on what the hell the Giants were going to do. Like I said, no GH counter after the Giants ran GH counter a lot because this front that they're facing is not just more more talented, but it's also just a different type of front. So they tried running the wham double trap, something we love. Watch Dre Greenlaw. Dan, can you see my my arrow on the screen? Okay. So you see that I'm drawing this line? No, you don't see that. No line, but you keep that thing out. No no line, but if that thing kind of like shows enough, it shows bigger than the arrow. So yeah, that that, that little line. So look at Marcus McKethan. Marcus McKethan, the line of scrimmage is on the 30. Marcus McKeppen is aligned about two yards off the line of scrimmage, and that is tipping to the defense that he is going to pull. And if you watch Dre Greenlaw, and this is just the 49ers, how well coached they are, watch Dre Greenlaw. He shoots this and yeah. almost comes up with a tackle because the 49ers knew what the Giants were trying to do. This is the first time the Giants ran this play. This is on the first drive. This wasn't the touchdown run that they hit on the same exact running play. But Marcus McKeppen pulls, and Greenlaw is just spot on aware of exactly what he's doing. That's based off of his alignment right there, being so far off the line of scrimmage. It's another coaching point where it's like you're you're not masking your intentions or disguising what you're trying to do and i get marcus mcgethan trying to cheat he's a big guy you know kicking right. out and, and and trying to get around john michael schmitz is going to be difficult if you're going to land a trap you have to land it really quick and really prompt like he does here and he does a good job and gary brightwell runs through that arm tackle and then just gets swallowed up but the 49ers knew what the giants were doing even when they attempted to run the football they knew what they were doing when they were passing. It's just the 49ers were all over the Giants because of the limitations that they had on the offensive line and all the other things that we've already previously went over. Yeah, and I think you this was a great observation by you, Nick. I'm so happy you broke this down. I told you you had to when you told me about it because I didn't even notice this. I love that little note, like that just observation you have where you're like, you could clearly see before the snap that the Giants are tipping off that you're going to pull this offensive lineman. Look at the stance. Look at his stance. Look at where he's aligned, as you said. And then look at how clearly the 49ers knew this was happening by Greenlaw shooting that gap. That's not a good sign. And then you brought up earlier the play where they had 10 players on the field. It does start to concern me a little. Like we've talked all offseason about, you know what, Nick, we won't be that concerned with this team because we feel like we have this weekly coaching edge. And it was fair to think that going into the season. But now we're starting to see these little miscues from a coaching standpoint. Like that even to me is a miscue from the coaching standpoint. Like they should never they, they should never be in a spot where they're tipping off their play, in my opinion. And I thought they did that by bringing Matt Parrott in, in the second half. I thought they did that all the times where Daniel Jones checked down to Paris Campbell. All the Giants fans are screaming, oh, Paris Campbell, he can't get any yards after contact or uh, catch. Oh, of course he can't. The 49ers are bluffing like the, like the, like the short game is going to be open and driving on it with 72 defenders every single time. That's not on the receiver. That's on the coach in a lot of ways for, you know, coming up with this play that looked like it was going to be there before the snap. But after the snap, the defense took it away. And so I am trying to think like we've had two games this year, Nick, the 49ers game, the Cowboys game, and even to some extent, the first half of the Cardinals game where it felt like Dable and Kafka were in a lot of ways outmatched by these opposing defensive coordinators. And yes, part of this is a personnel issue. I really do feel like this offensive line in this game was just so bad. It didn't matter, but no, part of this is also 
things that you bring up, like that play where they tipped off that they were pulling the guard or all these plays where they're bluffing, like you're going to have quick game and then they're driving on it. So I don't know, man. It's, it's, I don't want to be it. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Here's one of the plays that Dan and I are referencing in terms of Paris Campbell to the flat. 26 is tipping off that he is going to come on this blitz. Daniel Jones does a good job from the far hash. Again, though, this is a blitz from the far hash where the 49ers are trusting a safety to come down to depth over the number two. That's the 49ers saying, we don't really trust your quarterback to throw too much to the far hash. It's just what right. they're saying. We want to get pressure in his face away from the running back side. That's exactly what the 49ers are attempting to do here. And they do that. And Daniel Jones does a great job. And I want to applaud Daniel Jones for recognizing it. Watch his eyes. Goes right to 26. And it's like, now I have a safety from depth over Paris Campbell with space to the outside. This is an easy pitch and catch. And the Daniel Jones delivers the football, but the ball is not optimally, optimally placed. It's not. Right. And people are not going to like to hear that, but this ball is high and it's like over the helmet of Paris Campbell. Can, can we stop for a second, Nick? Why are people not going to like to hear that? How is this not the most obvious thing in the world? Like there's something wrong with people who can't process it. Look at where Paris Campbell's hands are. Look at how he's forced to turn around and flip his hips and then turn back. Fully yeah. spin. If that ball is out on the to the right side, uh, sorry, to the left of him on the right outside shoulder, he can catch that, turn that upfield, and who knows how long he's going to go for? Because Jones got the ball out quick, which was great by Jones, and he recognized yeah. it, which was great by Jones. But this ball forces Campbell to flip his hands around, turn his body completely, and by that point, and he's by the time he's gathered himself, the defensive back has enough time to come down on this. Look at that; he's turning completely. You could see his number. Yes, he throws hot here. And if you look to look at the top of the screen, though, too, this is the this is the Giants. This is the fourth drive. Start of the fourth drive, first and 10, late in the second quarter. All those guys are just staying around Darren Waller and Daniel Bellinger. So you're just eliminating these three and really abusing the 49ers for not respecting your offense. This is exactly what we want. But in terms of that ball placement, you need that ball to the outside shoulder, hit Paris Campbell in stride. So he catches this football and he takes it right up right. field. That's what you need. And now you have a blocker downfield and then Hufanga coming from depth or from the middle of the field because he had to drop from the line of scrimmage last night. Who knows night. how big this play could have been if the ball placement was perfect. If the ball placement was good here, if the ball placement was perfect and not behind Paris Campbell like it is. And high. Play to Paris Campbell and Giant fans wouldn't be sitting there being like Paris Campbell sucks and all right. this other stuff. And I think we, we, we should expect more from Paris Campbell. But this isn't on Paris Campbell, dude. This is on Daniel Jones. It's a far hash throw. What have we said all last year when Jack Del Rio was just disrespecting the Giants by playing the coverages that he was because he was playing Daniel Jones? We were saying, Daniel Jones, you need to take advantage of it. Daniel Jones attempted to take advantage of it. He recognized it. He threw hot. We love all that. But the ball placement needs to be better than this to allow Paris Campbell to make this player miss instead of getting tackled right before he goes out of bounds for a minimal game. This could have been like a 25-yard game. Who knows how long it could have been. If that ball was placed on the outside shoulder and he could catch that in stride and turn left, I don't think the safety's catching him. And I don't know if Ufanga is going to be able to get back to get to him in time if the blocking is good from that other receiver. So that could have been like a game-changing play, if I'm going to be completely honest. And, you know, I've seen quarterbacks hit that throw. It's not the most difficult throw in the world to throw that no. with good ball placement. Like, that one might have been even worse, honestly, than the Waller ball placement, even though the Waller one was from a clean pocket and there was no pressure and there's no hot. Like things were better in that one for sure. But, you know, those are two missed opportunities for the Giants that, in my opinion, and the opinion of anyone who has two sets should be the opinion of anyone who has two sets of eyes. It's on the quarterback for ball placement. A set of eyes. If you have two a sets set of, of eyes, eyes, that'd be, yeah. that'd that'd be, be really awesome. cool. Yeah. <laughs> I did like this play, though, man. This is the uh, Gary Brightwell one that we were referencing with second and eight with 1423 in quarter three. So the Giants came out and they made halftime adjustments. And you like to see the halftime adjustments. And the Giants wanted to run the football, but like I said a little earlier, just absolutely shut down. So what do they do instead? You want to double Darren Waller? Cool. We're going to line Darren Waller in a reduced set, minus splits inside the numbers and to the boundary side. We're, well, from the field side, we're going to bring Gary Brightwell, who is to the strength, 
all the way around an orbit. We're going to run Darren Waller to the inside. And what are they going to do? They're going to bracket Darren Waller. Nobody accounts for Gary Brightwell. This is just a smart coaching adjustment because 57 says, oh, Darren Waller's stemming inside. I got to watch him. He doesn't kick out to get 23 to the flat. So no one's taken the running back to the flat. And good job by Daniel Jones. That's a good pass. This yep. is a good pass. This hits Gary Brightwell. Watch. Right that's, that's ball placement. Perfect. That's great ball placement. That's what you need. And it goes for a first down. This is a good coaching adjustment. It's a good throw. And I and I love to see this against an opponent that is outmatched you. But and there's it's also just the Giants being like, okay, you want to take 12 away from us? Well, we're going yes. to find another playmaker to make a play. And that's exactly what they did here. And look, Nick, maybe, you know, part of this is the 49ers were able to you know, use this, have so much attention focused on Darren Waller with the plays like that one. And that wasn't ne not nearly the only one we saw on tape because Barkley wasn't in the game, right? Like that could be a factor here. You know, they might not be able to uh, like uh, use that many resources towards Waller if Barkley's available. And that's a problem as well. And also tips a tip to the to Barkley uh, and his impact on this team. Something I don't think really I, either of us have ever been doubted. Our whole thing is like, do you want to pay a running back long-term because the injury side of it, it's, we've never thought like, you know, he's not an impact player. We know that he is it's obvious in this game i thought it was very obvious the giants weren't able to establish anything really without him in the run game at all and then you had you know extra defenders going to waller because barkley wasn't on the field absolutely man yeah with saquon barkley i don't think the 49ers would have been as aggressive to stop darren waller i think they would have had to account they didn't show any respect to brita or right or gary brightwell or what have you here's just another double trap uh wham play and i just i didn't want to highlight evan neal for being evan neal but evan neal has the perfect angle here against somebody who is wide to kick him out. True. And he just doesn't allow it to happen. And he allows that to get collapsed. Wow. And you just hate to freaking see that, man. Like he attacks the almost like he goes into that inside shoulder, but he doesn't have the the strength or the drive to to actually uproot Nick Bosa, who's one of the best edges. Let's be fair. But you hate to see plays like this, man, because I think this could have been a big run. It looks like Gary does enough to at least hinder 30. So it would have been yeah. 30 against seven. But instead, Bright uh, Breida just gets gobbled up. And then here's a touchdown run again. Wham double trap. For those who don't know or are new to the channel, a wham block is a tight end who is blocking a, a defensive lineman who is allowed to come up. And then a trap block is the same thing, only it's not a tight end blocking it. It's an offensive guard. And what I mean by that is we have Daniel Bellinger. Watch 90. He gets just... The guard who is over the top of him pulls to trap 99. So that's going to allow John Michael Schmitz and Josh Zudu to have a free release up to the second level. It's just a good way to get big bodies up to the second level to help spring a big run. Giants block this up well. Yeah. Matt Breida really does a good job hitting this hole. So I wanted to highlight it. This is the best way to run the football against this front, or at least the Giants felt so because they did not run any GH counter and would not have worked out at all, especially with the <laughs> quick second level defenders yeah. that, that the 49ers have. So this was one good play, good physicality by Daniel Bellinger on the, uh, on 90 there and, uh, ends up going for a touchdown. It was a really nice, violent, hard cut by Brita to get vertical on that. So I'm glad you highlighted that one, Nick. All right, Nick, let's, let's, uh, cross it over now. And, and maybe if you have it run some, uh, film from the giants pass blocking in this game from the offensive line, I want to do a discussion on the offensive line. I know everybody wants that every week and this is a good week to do it. And then we'll go over our awards for this week. Just a reminder, we haven't done awards yet this season. I was hoping it would be a better game to do awards from, um, as you'll note, in a few minutes, the wards are not great this week. I mean, the Giants had 150 yards of total offense. 
really embarrassing when I think about it from that standpoint, Nick, that they didn't have, it didn't look as bad. It felt like during the game, but I guess, you know, it just, <laughs> it, it was as bad as that, but um, we'll show some plays here from the offense. Line. Was there yeah. one more play you wanted to go over first or are you, are you running? I just think it's cool to yeah. see G lead G lead is when you pull the play side guard, not the backside mm -hmm. guard, which Giants do often with Marcus McKethan running into space. And you can just see like the power that Marcus, like he tosses seven out the club. Yeah. Seven does a good job getting, getting in breeders away still. So I, I like to see that creativity something that we haven't seen much of this season, but we know Bobby Johnson and Mike Kafka, Brian Dable called it a lot last year, but we can run through this. I just want people who are watching on YouTube to pay attention to how much seven, eight man protection the Giants have where Bellinger yeah. and Waller are staying in with Brita and you have basically two routes that are running and just the Giants as you've Hodgins seen on that one chipping. Yeah. Like, and also just Evan Neal, Neal, still, look how bad Neil gets beat with Hodgins helping him. I know it's almost like Hodge, like did Hodgins hurt him almost like to not allow oh, to I think see. that he had to shade to the inside right. and kind of cutting off that angle. Look, Evan Neal well, and, when he and tries to cut off that angle. I feel like he gets himself so out of position when he does try to cut off that angle. I know, man. Evan Neal, like, he goes in like even when he like attaches and latches on, it's just like look how his chest is so far in front of his toes. He's up on the balls of his yep. feet. He's just he's very, very off. That's Whatever's a great going way on. to go about it. I mean, to break it down, Nick, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut you off. Finish your thought. And then I'm going to have a thought on this. No, you, you can go on. I was just going to say everything that Evan Neal is putting on tape through three games, none of it's really been positive, And it's just the same exact thing we saw last year. And I'm just being redundant from the things that we've talked about over the last two, two weeks. And I apologize for that, but I don't really know what else to say. Cause we have not seen any sort of improvement. And I get that he's going up against Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa, but guess what? Those guys play in the NFL. If you want to be a competitive yes. football team, you're going to have to play those guys. And I, I just don't really You're like a blue chip team. prospect. You're supposed to be able to match up. Exactly. Against those guys. Pause that to where you had it before, where he was just on the totally on the balls of his feet. His literal left heel was off the ground. Lunging. Um, yeah. What do you mean? You guys can see it. I think one of the biggest things, and I've said this for the last two years when we've gone over the draft film of these tackles and I've tried to figure out like what makes these guys work or Sean Slade or Charles cross, for example, two recent hits. I feel like the footwork is like 95% of this thing, Nick. And when you watch like Charles cross, for example, like, how often is he ever lunging on the balls of his feet? He's always the opposite. He's always kind of like crouched back and like letting it come to him and really well base and a great base and just on the fucking, not on the balls of his feet. One thing I will say, this is a jump set because it's play action. So yeah. it, it's not as passive. A jump set is much more of a run blocking type of pass set. And you run that when you're executing a play action pass to sell that it's going to be a run. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what he does here is a jump set. Like, look, I'm run blocking. Oh, no, I'm not. But then you got to at least cut that angle off if you know Isaiah Hodgins isn't going to be there for long. And that's like my problem with Evan Neal is he goes in like that and then that foot is still planted in the ground and it's not working up field to cut off the fact that Nick Bosa has a lot of speed and can beat you around the edge. And my issue is even when he is doing vertical sets or a 45 degree set, which is a little bit more passive and is not dictating as much because it's a pass set, the feet are still an issue. The feet yeah. aren't where they're supposed to be. There's no, the framing of the block for Evan Neal is I think his biggest problem. And a lot of that stems from the footwork and where he has to be mentally. So when you have that defender in front of you, can you stay square? And once that defender is able to get an edge on you, how do you recover for Evan Neal? He turns at the hip and he opens his hips and the guy's balance was his biggest weak point coming out of Alabama. And when you open your hips and you allow a defender to lean into you and just drive through force when they're able to just, you know, put their foot feet in the ground and just churn through the ground, you're going to go flying. And that's one reason why yep. we see Evan Neal on the ground so frequently. It's just 
ah, man, I already brought it up at the beginning of the podcast. It's just maddening because you would imagine that it would start to progress at some point and it just has not yet. Yep. You're damn right about that. Um, let's talk about the rest of the offensive line. We did a little breakdown there of Neil. Okay, Nick, this was a, a rough one for me. I feel like bad games across the board. If I'm going to be completely honest, Josh Azudu did the best that he could playing left tackle. And I still think he's doing a commendable job, all things considered, but he's a net negative for them in the run game as a left tackle. Like you get, I've never thought like Andrew Tom, I thought Andrew Thomas was always at his best as a pass blocker, but he was like good as a run blocker. But you see the difference now watching these two on tape as run blockers. I think maybe that's something that surprised me, Nick, just because Azuda was so good run blocking as a guard last year. And I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. That's my thought there. I'll go quickly rapid fire and I'll let you jump in. Shane Lemieux, epic disaster in this game. I mean, Shane Lemieux should not be starting on an NFL field. I have no idea why the Giants tried this. I guess they were trying to hit lightning in a bottle or something. I don't know why he would play over Mark Lewinsky. Mark Lewinsky has his problems, Nick, but he's not nearly as bad as Shane Lemieux, in my opinion, at all. Center, JMS, this was to me by far his worst game I've seen of the three. And it was his final first real test, to be completely honest. And I'm not going to blame him for that. It's a tough test, but he was on the ground again a lot. And he's been on the ground a lot this season, but he was on the ground even more this game. He had some issues in pass protection that I hadn't seen from the first few games. So I thought it was his worst game of the year. Marcus McKethan, outside of just the play on the two-point conversion where he just got bitched and backed up right into Daniel Jones for the sack, I just felt like overall it was not a great game for him either. Um, so I'm struggling to find any kind of silver lining for the offensive line in this game at all. There really is none, if we're going to be frank about it, unfortunately. And I wanted to highlight this play because it, it kind of discusses the overall issue with the offense and the quick passing attack. This is an RPO, though. So Daniel Jones makes the correct read, but watch how the 49ers are going to play this to the pass side. He, You can't see the defender that Daniel Jones is reading. You're going to see him come in, obviously playing the run by stepping down. Daniel Jones reads that, but what do the 49ers do on the back end? You can't see it from this angle, but you'll see the reaction. You have a number one receiver attempting to clear out. You see how Daniel Jones kind of thinks twice about this? It's because the technique from that outside defender is squatting on this, on this out route. It just goes to show again, and I know it's an RPO. Everything's going to be quick. You're not going to have this deep passing concept off the RPO, but the 49ers were on top of it. You want to throw five yards? Fine. We're going to rally and we're going to tackle and we're not going to give your receivers any space to operate, any space to make players miss. And this is a, just another example of it because obviously the player who the read defender is way out of position, but then the other defender is there to help him because he knows the Giants are going to pass really short, especially off an RPO. Yeah. Another good example of the 49ers fooling the Giants. Um, all right, Nick. Jeez. Oh. Before we give out, a, what, are, what are you saying, G's to? Just like Evan Neal again on on this play. Sorry for the yeah. podcasting audience, but he's on. He's not Nick Bosa. He's attached to him. Gets pushed off a little bit, so the defender does a good job to create separation and break contact. So then he goes to reframe and again gets beat around the edge. This is like a three hundred and five pound defender. Look at his feet and look at his body. Off he's just lunging. He's He's just never balanced, it seems like, Evan Neal. Uh, I think, you know, footwork and balance, if you don't have it as an offensive lineman, you're not going to win often in the NFL. Before we get into awards, Nick, and I'm glad you're running some film for people to see some other stuff. That was a bright well drop. I had some random uh, film observation musings I wanted to go over with you and see your thoughts on. One, <laughs> Giants dialed up a screen in the fourth quarter with 426 to go. 
And it was an eight-yard loss to Matt Breida. I don't know what's going on, dude, but we are the worst screen team I've ever seen in the history of football. This is like a years-long thing. Just year after year after year, we can't figure out how to run a screenplay. Everyone else in the world can get yards off a screen. I'm watching the, the 49ers throw great screens. I'm watching the Jaguars. I saw the Lawrence tape today. I'm watching them dial up screens when the Texans got too aggressive. 49ers got aggressive. Giants keep, like, they find decent spots to throw the screens, and just the execution on these screenplays is just unbelievably horrific. I, I, it's a statement. I don't know if you have any, you can, you can choose to pass or reply to any of these. We'll just go, go like that. <laughs> I just feel like we're being redundant for those who have listened for a while. Yeah. The screen, the screen game of the giants are terrible. It's always seems like it's one player who just misses their assignment or the fact that the team, the defense maybe is expecting it and they're playing for it because they're not threatened too much deep. And I felt like the 49ers were certainly that. And a lot of the good teams that the giants run the screens against are certainly that as well as we've unfortunately already broke. I wanted to quickly just say something on this play too. Like yeah. what were the giants thinking on this specific alignment and just play call? I get that you're, you're using the jet motion from the, from the wide receiver trying to, you know, run this misdirection and this eye candy, which the 49ers did very effectively against the giants. But you have Daniel Bellinger like two yards oh, outside yeah. of this of Nick Mosa. What what are you what are we doing here? And I get you you think that he's going to bite down the line of scrimmage. You shouldn't at this point. Nobody is following. No one is play, right, except for maybe like the Chicago Bears who are terrible <laughs> and, and teams like that. Like teams aren't going to fall for this. 49ers didn't fall for it. Dallas definitely didn't fall for it. And I just don't get like this had to be like. Is this a mistake on Bellinger? I'm I'm not certain. No, he's never going to be able to get over there, right? there's no shot that Daniel Bellinger is going to be able to get over there from his current location. Oh. He has to be over the top of him. And then at that point, you're going and to also, Nick, like, what do you even gain by this? I think they've done this at this. I can't remember if it was Cardinals or Cowboys, but this happened in one of the other two games too, where there was a guy aligned too far out and the same thing happened. What are you hoping to gain by having Bellinger aligned there? I don't think you're disguising anything really. If you had him lined up right over Bosa, I feel like there's, it's like the same idea. Like you can disguise it just as much and he might be able to get in front of him there and actually allow the play to work. I mean, there was nothing open anyway after he would have rolled out, but I just don't know what there's the, what there is to gain. You're not disguising enough by having him lined at detached from the line of scrimmage. No, you're not. I wanted to just highlight this JMS pass blocking rep for the solid rep. Yeah, it's but, his best same, rep of the game. but at the same time, he's getting pushed back and it does seem like 90. I just like how he readjusts yes. with that inside hand so many times while keeping himself framed in front of 90, but 90 has a little bit of separation on him. But yeah, this is Look overall <laughs> the offensive, uh, the offensive, this is the play with Jalen Hyatt deep for those watching. Uh, just Lemieux just gets bullied. And that's like their fifth best defensive lineman. He's, I, know. I don't know if he's a bust Javon Kinlaw, but he's not he's living up. To basically been a bust for the most part, Javon Kinlaw, but he's not actually a, but I kind of agree with you. He's like a fake bust. Like he's a bust based on the fact that everyone expected him to be so good. Everyone uh, expecting to be DeForest Buckner. Right, not. right. He's, yeah, very he's few not, people who are DeForest Buckner. He's very not even football. close to it as long as Buckner. I'm going to bring a couple other film musings that I wanted to go over. Um, the third and two was 659. I didn't write down the quarter for this one. That was just a good example. I'll try to find it after this and put it in the, in the comments. A good example of the 49ers knowing exactly what the Giants wanted to do. Jones looked immediately for the solution to Waller, who got bracketed. He didn't expect that. By the time he walks works off Waller to the second read, he's too late to come off it. Lemieux gives up the, the pressure. And it was just like an example, again, of the 49ers basically toying with the Giants, showing them something pre-snap that looked like, okay, here's your solution. Go to this guy. And immediately after the snap, taking away that and baiting the Giants and, and fooling the Giants in a lot of ways, which happened more in this game than I've seen in a lot, Nick. Um, also, 
I wanted to say that the third and nine with 227 to go in the third quarter, the back shoulder ball that Jones threw to Waller that was off target. I did want to commend Jones for that one because I think in my mind, Nick, in this game or, you know, this season, I should say, Jones has been a little quick to bail from pockets, a little quicker than I'd like in a lot of spots. On that one, he stood in in that pocket, knew he was getting hit, took a huge hit, and threw the back shoulder to Waller. It obviously impacted the ball placement, but I like that he stood in the pocket there. I think we're going to need to see more of that and less of bailing uh, moving forward. And then one final thing I wanted to bring up, Nick, uh, this is just something I like to see, a little silver lining for me in this game, as minor as it may be. I like that Dable brought in Tyrod Taylor with 312 to go in this game. I like that he may be changing his tune a little bit with this stuff. There was no reason to bring Daniel Jones back into that game to get injured and have bad things happen for the rest of your season. He finally made the call to take Jones out and to bring in Tyrod Taylor, as he should have done in the Cowboys game, to be completely honest, a lot earlier than he did. Yes, Daniel Jones doesn't need to be out there. We've seen him take enough hits in this game, and he wasn't even hit as many times as in previous games. We saw one design quarterback run, which was interesting. Yeah. And that was just the fast four. And then he fakes the draw or he ends up running the draw after faking like he's going to drop back. That's a play that we saw a lot last season, but yeah, no, we went over a lot of the other, um, I guess, musings as you, as you termed it with this giants offense, they need to, they need to do something though. And there's one of those back shoulder throws. If you're watching on YouTube, I like this because it's from the far hash. He drives it. It's very catchable. I kind of thought that the uh, this could have been offensive pass interference, but I'm glad it was called on the defense as yeah, well. You know how that goes. Yeah, exactly. But like Waller does kind of like arm over and toss two like to to his outside, but two is already all over him. So I think it was. Um, uh, I I probably would have been okay with a non call, but that that's me. I'm always going to be um lean towards the defense because those guys get screwed so damn often. <laughs> yeah, that's we you know how we are with that, but we, they continue to get screwed. Um. And what was the f- I had one more thing I wanted to, to throw your way here. The Tyrod thing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll come. Oh, just one interesting stat. I know Barkley didn't play in this game. This is courtesy of Doug Analytics. Barkley didn't play in this game, but the Giants only had one snap in the first two games of the Pony Package with both Breed and Barkley on the field. It's something they found success with last year. It's maybe something they can go back to this year as they're digging and trying to find ways to win and find create you know create plays on offense and more yards than they've had in games one and three. So just something to keep in mind. Maybe we'll start to see more of that moving forward. And a lot of people, there's a couple more things I just want to say. First off, yep. Wando Robinson, excellent that we were able to see him on the field. I actually felt like he looked exactly the same. Like, yeah. He had his he had his snaps scaled back. That's all well and good, but I'm very encouraged by what I saw just from a movement standpoint. Very deliberate routes. Love the whip route that he ran. I thought that was a you know planted the foot, exploded off it. You love to see it. We see on Twitter a lot of people saying, Why are the Giants so much worse? We went over a lot of reasons why, but also I just think it comes down to the teams the Giants played in these first three games. Really it's just they beat a lot of bad teams last year. They were a little bit more together, and I feel like the defense was a lot better. We'll get into some of that. The defense right now has a lot of new faces, which you brought up on, on last week's podcast, and I think it's really hurting the New York Giants right now. I just don't think they're nearly as communicative. I think the defensive linemen that the Giants added aren't aren't having as much of an impact as we would have liked, and maybe that's one reason why they're losing a lot of these football games, Dan. But 49ers and the Cowboys are very good football teams. The Giants got swept by the Cowboys last year as well. So it wasn't 40, nothing, mm-hmm. but I do think it's just the, the schedule is very tough this season for the giants and they're not playing the AFC South every season. Yeah, you're right. It's a difficult schedule. There's been two difficult matchups. The giants do have to find some more solutions in the passing game for sure. So 
we'll see moving forward how that goes. We're going to do some quick uh, superlatives like we promised we would do before we get out of here. Uh, we're going to start with unheralded player of the game, Nick. Who do you got for unheralded player of the game? So our, I think it's collective. I'm just going to spoil it. Our unheralded player of the game is the same as our best player for the offense because no one was really good other than Matt Burita. And that's not just because of the touchdown run, but also in pass protection. Matt Breida was very good in pass protection, identifying when the blitz, where the blitz was coming. He had a few cross blocks from the opposite side oh, of the yeah. formation, seeing the defensive back come and then locating him. I was very impressed with what Matt Breida was able to do as a pass protector. And honestly, he's the only player, not named like Wandell, because Wandell played a very small amount of snaps that was impressive throughout this film against this opponent. So that's my unheralded and my best player. Yeah, I was trying to dig for something else, but I mean, you guys, you guys know, you guys watch the game and you've seen our film review now. You, if you think of somebody, you let us know, but it's tough to find anybody, in my opinion, other than Matt Breida, I guess, for unheralded player. Um, I think part of it is, and best player too, because I think part of it is he offered a lot of value on that touchdown run. That was a good run by him. And that's put them at that point. I think it was still one, it was a one score game after that score. And they were really in the game at that point. Uh, was it 17, 12, or I think it was 17, 12 after that. So really gave them a chance to potentially compete in that. And I think you brought it up. Great. Some of those blitz pickups are the best we've seen by a running back this year. And yes, that includes Saquon Barkley. So definitely Matt Breida for that best route on film. Wando Rob Robinson's whip. That's where I'm going to go. Just It was good to see him move around like that. It was explosive. He was in and out of his break very quickly, flowed to the outside, away from the underneath defender, made the catch. So Wandell's whip. I looked for something, Nick. I said in my notes, I'll, I'll try to come back and find one. And I went back through the film. I didn't find anything that good. So I'll go with the Wandell whip too. Or I can either go with that or his first, uh, the first route he won on on that third down. Either of those works for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't a good game for routes. So that, that's the best we can do. Best throw. Do you have one? Not really, no. I thought about the back shoulder throw. I didn't love it, that throw, though. I didn't love it either, and it wasn't even really to the back shoulder. It was no. to like the inside of what the back shoulder would be for somebody running the back shoulder, but that could have easily been knocked away. It was not optimally placed. Are we talking about the Slayton throw or the yes. Waller throw? Slayton okay, throw. the Slayton one is probably the one I could go with. The Waller throw on the... On the end zone angle, it looked okay. On the sideline angle, to me, it looked like the ball died and, and fell too far in front of Waller um, for what it's worth. But I, I, I guess I can go with the Slayton throw. I think that was a good throw. I was happy Jones got the ball out and tried a back shoulder type throw. Obviously, it wasn't the placement you want for a back shoulder. I know people raw, like, uh, killed me for that on Twitter because I put that out like the day after, Nick, the morning after the game. And people were like, that's not a back shoulder throw. If you're going to talk about back shoulders, use the correct football terminology. That ball ended up on his front shoulder. That is not a back shoulder throw. I'm like, well, obviously, he wanted to throw it to the back shoulder there. Like, just because it didn't land there didn't mean that's not where he, <laughs> what he was trying to do. So that was funny to me. Best play call. I think we probably have a different one. I think we do have a different one here. So why don't you go with yours first? Yeah. Quarter three, second and eight, 14, 23. It's the motion bright. Well, outside to the spot over Waller and nobody pushed. And they basically said, you want to bracket Waller? Cool. We're going to call your bluff. See if you get 23 to flat. No one took 23 to the flat. End up being a first down, which the Giants did not get many of in this game. Yeah. Great, great play call there. It was definitely in the mix for me. I'm going to go with the one you broke down. We broke down a bunch of times on this pod. Uh, the ball that, you know, some people are saying Jones should have thrown the one to Hyatt that play. I just love that. We're using that, you know, double Y speed stack where you got them coming. We got you, you use the motion to create some kind of separation to start. And then you see a breakdown in the coverage. We just, we just didn't see a lot of in this game from the 49ers. So to get that breakdown in coverage where you have Hyatt so open, to me, it's a good route combination. Obviously, the bad pass protection killed this play, but I like the play call overall. How about uh, we did we did best player overall? How about uh, pass puck in grade one through ten? 
bad. Let's go 2.4. I'm actually adjusting mine now on the fly. I'm gonna, I'm, I've reconsidered this, Nick. I'm going to go with a 1.2, almost as bad as it gets. Maybe the lowest score I've ever given a Giants pass blocking in a game. I just think about how bad it was across the board. Um, I can't think of it. Like even, even JMS, who's been so good in the first two games, I didn't think had a good game in this game. How about run blocking 1 through 10? Bad again. Uh, I'm going to adjust a little bit and say 2.1. Yeah, I actually have 2.1 as well for the run blocking, back-to-back 2.1 type type, type uh, grades here from us. Look, it wasn't great. <laughs> it, it definitely wasn't great. But here's the thing. The good news is Giants play Seattle, extended bye week. Hopefully Andrew Thomas is back. Maybe Saquon Barkley's back. Either way. The Seahawks don't have the 49ers defense or anywhere close to the 49ers defense. Maybe they can try to attempt to do some of the things that the 49ers and Cowboys did from a schematic standpoint. But even that I question Nick, because it's not really Pete Carroll's MO to play defense like that. And the giants found some success against this defense last year. They were killed by the punt return fumble. So this is a repeat matchup from last year. The one in Seattle, I got to think of the giants and get things figured out in defense. They can compete in this game. And I'm less worried in this game about the offense than I am about the defense. I'm right there with you, but the Giants typically are good fitting zone type of runs, right. and that's what Seattle runs a lot of. Kenneth Walker's on a tear right now, and we'll get into the Seattle podcast a little bit later in the week, but sure. remember last year, Daniel Jones had opportunity to hit Darius Slayton deep a couple times, and he oh, just yeah. did not pull the trigger. A lot of double moves against Tariq Wollin. That's what Mike Kafka and Brian Dable ran. I expect to see a similar type of approach. I like Tariq Wollin, Nick, but I find him currently to be all arguably the most overrated quarterback in the NFL, in my personal opinion. I think he's a scheme-based corner who makes a lot of big plays, but I've seen a lot of clips that have circulated, not just the ones you talked about that we watched yeah. in the Giants game, where he's just getting burned on, on any kind of vertical double move type of thing. And I think he gets aided a little bit by the scheme, in my personal opinion. He was a great draft pick. And like, obviously, he's overproduced that. But like some people yeah. talk about him like, he's the best corner in the NFL. I'm like, eh, I don't really see where that can even be argued. But I don't even know if he's the best corner on his team. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that too. Devon Witherspoon right. over there. I know he's hardly played football, but judging by his tape back he's in college, good. he's, he's a freaking be a player. player. Oh yeah, he's going to be a player for them for sure. All right, that's all the time we have for on today's all offensive twenty uh, all twenty two offensive review. Please, if you enjoyed the show, hit the like button, subscribe, do all the things I've asked in the past, help us out. Um, that way, we can deliver more content in the future. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.